It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. If you want interesting and entertaining debate on the Premier League and other English leagues, but from a show that doesn't take itself too seriously, then check out The Whistleblowers. It's a weekly football podcast hosted by me. I used to play football, Martin Gritton, uh, stand-up Mark Smith when he can, and music manager Gareth Dobson, who uh, always has plenty of good chat, being a Spurs fan. Um we basically get football writers in to have a chat as well. And we talk about the stories that matter in English football, whether it's on the pitch or off it. It's free to listen to iTunes, Acast, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, or you can download the Whistleblowers app and follow us on Twitter at Football Podcast. Cheers. Hello and welcome to the Newcastle Nutter. My name is Fergus Craig and I'm joined by live from the dirty south, Paul Doolan. Hello. And live from the dirty north, it's Dave Watson. Oh, it's dark in here in tier three, I tell you. It's bleak. What are we going to do? We've got no money and it's fucking south, keeping it all for themselves. Any listener from the south, fuck off. Give us the money. What Dave can see but the listeners can't is that me and Fergus are both on chaise longs, eating grapes and (laughs) drinking wine. (laughs) <laughs> it's fantastic down here you wouldn't believe the fun we're having up there your children don't have shoes you're just no. waiting to see if marcus rashford will come if we'll knock on your door and have you some <laughs> we're, not, we're not even we're not even entertaining hope about santa it's just marcus rashford and a bag from like little that's all we want <laughs> <laughs> he's the new postcode lottery you don't know when he's gonna knock on your door but he'll be there with a big check <laughs> I'm just having to fight rats for the empty bottle of Ribena. That's, that's all I've got today. It's just, it's, ah, we'll be let's there. not get in, political. Yeah. In non footballing terms, uh, I think most people would say Marcus Rashford hasn't really put a foot wrong this year. I'm looking forward to that moment when suddenly he gets a bit, he oversteps, is what. Is welcome. Starts talking about five G or something. <laughs> <laughs> I think there'll just be a collective. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's really young. He can't for the rest of his life just be this like 
Nice guy. There's got to be some dirty secret somewhere. You'll and I'm going to make it my life's role to find it. <laughs> Sorry, Dave, what were you saying? You'll be a racist or something. You know, like all the, all the people that you think are quite nice, suddenly, boom, racist. That's what it'll be. Yeah. So, um, speaking of racists, <laughs> um, let's, uh, let's talk about uh, Newcastle United Football Club. And uh, since our last, last podcast, if uh, regular listeners may remember, you know, I'll try and sort of update you. In our last podcast, I went on quite a long emotional sanctimonious um, rant about um, desperately searching for some positivity. Uh, we've had two games uh, since the last podcast, and uh, one of them sort of helped my cause, and uh, the other perhaps didn't. Um, we did beat Burnley 3-1. I do wish we'd done a podcast immediately after it, because then we could have had a, 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 what I imagine would have been a fairly positive podcast. But I hardly remember that game. Do you remember it, guys? I, 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 I've got fragments. I, I remember really. St. Maximin's goal. What do you remember about that game, Paul? Uh, almost literally nothing. I remember Sean Dyche standing in a black jacket in the rain looking... Oh, we had the penalty, didn't we, that he was fuming about? He was fuming about a penalty, which was a penalty, I think. I can't remember. I just remember he looked like he was waiting for his Was it a foul in the build-up to a goal? I can't remember now. This is the sort of uh, insight you get on the part. And it was so. It was so basically the. I mean, the, we're skipping ahead, but the the penalty that we got was um, essentially. Yeah, he thought there was a foul in the build up to it, but it was a cross came in, and the keeper just took out Fraser, um, who was about to tuck it away. Um, I, I mean, for 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 Dice to be complaining about a foul in the build up to the third goal that his team had conceded. Sounds a bit like distraction tactics. He's not like that's that, that's what penalty he was. He complained wasn't, about yeah. a, a goal in a, a foul in the build up to the penalty. Mm. Um, no, yeah, he also he complained about a foul in the build up to Saint Maximin's goal, which was the opening goal. I remember that now. He complained about a foul in the build up to that, and for which he may well have did had he? a case for. Yes, he did. And in fact, now my if memory serves me right, he actually had a bit of a point, but. Let's not get bogged down in Sean Dyche and his obsession with the rules of the game. Let's talk about um, uh, St. Maximum scored a lovely goal, took on a few players and um, scored from outside the box. Yeah, he was like there were five or six players around him and it, it was... It was really congested and he just kept shifting it from one foot to the other until he got that little half-yard, yard of space. And then, yeah, it was a really good finish. And I think ages ago, I compl- like, I think my we were comparing the, the French wingers that we've had. And, I, and I, I said that the other three, Ben Arthur, Robert and Ginola, could all strike a ball really sweetly. And St. Maxman doesn't look like, didn't look like he had that in his locker. But his, his finishing in the last few games, his finishing looks decent. So I take it it's, back. No, it's not bad. But you, I mean, you're right to say he's not like 
you wouldn't expect to have him on uh, free kicks anytime soon. I saw a compilation of Lauren Robert goals the other week. And it just It's not until you see them, you're like, we've not had anyone that can do that for at least a decade. Lauren Robert was amazing. And I think, I think he was underrated. When you look back at our, a lot of our goals from that period, he made so many of them. Shearer really rated him in terms of delivery, didn't he? Mm-hmm. I think Shearer really liked him. Yeah, because Robert was like a, a he, he was a, a an old fashioned winger in so much as that he he loved getting to the byline and he would and he smoked know, he, and he smoked and uh, <laughs> but he, he would he would um, he he'd never really beat a player by dribbling around him or anything. It was just a bit of pace, the confidence to get past the player, and yeah, that delivery with, with his left foot, he he could put it on a postage stamp. It was yeah, it was. He was a fantastic player, and yeah, I well, think since he was we are talking about since since we are talking about Saint Maximin, and although I do want to be really positive, one thing that is frustrating me about him a little bit, which seems unfair to say, considering we're talking about the Burnley game where he really did win it for us in the Man United game, I feel like he he's not a quick thinker. Like, he's a quick thinker in the sense that he's able to get past a player, past a series of players really quickly. So he can make those quick decisions of what trick will get me past this player. Mm. He never plays like a one-touch pass. He never takes a... uh, He never, like, um, the ball comes to him and he immediately shoots. His thought, whenever he gets the ball, and it's such a... It's such an great thing to have as a team but not always his thought when he first gets the ball is right I've got the ball I'll dribble fast past a few players and while I work out what to do I think he looks I think there's a reason he looks worse against the bigger teams and it is because that's when we need to counter attack and like you said if you need if you're counter attacking it needs to be quick one touch direct where everyone is around you whereas when he gets the ball it's all mazy runs who can I beat? How can I get to goal quickly? I mean, it'd but be... then that's that's an issue with the the system that we're playing. Rather than a, a, I wouldn't put the blame on to Maximum because, like you say, you want him to be like just going straight for goal, not having to yeah. go past players. But because we're sitting, sitting so deep, when he receives the ball, he has got four or five players in front of him that he has to beat. Instead of what it should be, he should be on the the shoulder of the fullback and whoever, Shelby, should be sticking a ball over the top for him to chase onto or like two his feet or something. You may be right about that in a lot of cases, but I do think it is something about the player and as well. I mean, there was a moment in the Man U game where he was on the edge of their box and all he had to do, it wasn't an easy thing to do, it could have easily gone wrong, but all he had to do was just play a touch to put Callum Wilson in. Mm. But he had to take four or five touches while he thought about what to do. Yeah, yeah I think he makes a really a lot good of, opportunity. That wasn't he makes a lot of very difficult on, things. He makes a lot of very difficult things look incredibly easy, and a lot of far easier things look very difficult. It's mm. it's a frustrating yeah. combo. But I'd rather that than the other way round. Sure. I think as well, it'd be we've not really seen him. 
in a lineup that's particularly suited to counter-attacking, if you're thinking of having speed on the break, you don't think of having Jeff Hendrick and Joel Linton up with him. Sure. Whereas I think if you had Fraser and Almiron up with him, it might be different. Yeah. So um, we're drifting into a general chat, and we might as well have it, because I don't think any of us particularly remembers the Burnley game. But before we go off, can I just ask you, Dave, as the chief exponent, exponent of on this podcast of negativity and, and uh, <laughs> in alignment with uh, 99% of Newcastle football fans. Uh, after that Burnley game, did you come away from that thinking, well, that was enjoyable and I'm glad we won. Yes. Good. Can I caveat it? <laughs> well, so the, the thing that the thing that um i really enjoyed it it was, it was a entertaining performance by wilson by st maximum uh the team didn't play particularly well as a as a unit it wasn't there wasn't a plan it was just that those two individuals played really well and that won us the game against a very ordinary burnley side so I was happy with the win. I could enjoy it. I could, you know, go away thinking that's three points. We're up to seventh, I think we were at the time. Um, that's really good. I'm happy. But I'm not blind to the faults. I'm not blind to the issue that's been the issue throughout. It seems that, like, since, since you said it, this seems the, um, and I'm probably, probably not knowledgeable enough to have this conversation. It seems to be the phrase now that is thrown at Bruce. And I've never heard it thrown against another manager as much as it is now it seems everyone's saying we don't have a plan we don't have a plan it's become like the thing well i think that's because the previous managers i'm not talking about the one that shall not be mentioned under pardew you knew what the plan was it might not have worked all the time and it might have, you might have gone on long stretches where it didn't work at all, but the plan was pretty straightforward. You had a, a flat back four, you had Cecchioti in the middle who would break it up and, and distribute the Kabai. Kabai would find the, the runners ahead of him in Ben Arthur, Barr and Cissé and that's how it worked. I think we criticised Pardew a lot for not having a plan though. So it, it felt like a whole year where it was just 4 2 three, one, change a left back after 60 minutes and that was it I think there were but that's still a plan but what we're saying about Bruce is that there is no plan there is a plan you just don't like the plan and it's not a particularly like it's, it's not so, a particularly uh, like the, the plan is get it maximum get it to the school Sorry, for one that's, that's not alright so the, the, there's a hope I wouldn't call it a plan I'd say there's three fundamental ways to play football you either defend well enough that the opposition don't score you control the ball so the opposition can't get the ball and they can't score or you score more than them right well we're not defending well at all we're giving up way too many chances we're certainly not controlling the ball we've got one of the lowest possession stats in the in the league and he's not setting us up to attack because we're playing without as as you were saying without Fraser and Almiron and instead we've got Jeff Hendrick and Joel Linton on the on the on the pitch we've got the players to play all you know cavalier fucking let's get Adam football because we could have been playing a flat back four with Hayden sitting in front of it Hayden's jump is give it a Shelby Shelby launches it off to those those four three or four attacking players ahead of him but we're not doing that 
certainly not controlling the ball, and we're not defending well. There isn't a plan beyond the hope. I don't get this. There's no plan thing. There's just there is a plan, yeah. a plan you don't like. No, but what's the plan? What's what's the okay? What's I the think strategy? to look at the, what's the tactic? One of the, okay, one let's let's go, talk, go on, Paul. One thing you yeah, can point to is that that didn't work, but you can see the thinking. People go on about the selection of Hendrick. That's clearly to not just be so laissez-faire up front and have no cover defensively. So the plan is, it's like the, the Rafa thing of talking about the blanket. And if you stretch it too far, you leak too many goals. If you stretch it too far the other way, it doesn't work the other way. I think it's the same kind of thing. The plan is to basically make the most of the main asset which is St Maximin and get more cover with the less flair players in people like Hendrick that are going to do more of the running I don't think it's necessarily a great plan but I think it is a I don't think it's any lesser plan than we had under Pardew or Carver or a lot of our other managers I, I, I mean do we get in funda- I, 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 I just in- go on go on okay I just just a, a rejoinder on that that I don't think I would stretch that to calling it a plan. I think that's just a fucking hope because it's it's not a plan to get it to St. Maximum. That's not a plan. That's just like, oh, I don't know. Let's just give it a good well, that's, that's not that's the it. only way. That's not what Paul was that. saying, was it? We didn't no. we wasn't even talking about St. Maximum. But then he, he's not setting us up to defend. We like we we've got like so we had um Hayden, Shelby, Hendrick, and uh four at the back, but we weren't moving as a unit we weren't defending well we weren't we certainly weren't attacking the when they had the ball there was we were so open throughout that game that they were they could and should have been uh, further ahead i mean in the whatsapp chat that we were having i was saying yeah there's some decent performances there but i'm worried that we're getting overrun and this we were getting we were up against it we were hanging on from essentially from before we scored all the way through the game so we were uh, hanging on. Okay, well, let's talk about that. Um, uh, I mean, I would t- to summarise, I would say that we're just getting caught in semantics now. But there is a plan, but it's a plan that you don't like, and it's poorly executed. I think that's. <laughs> but I, I would say, if we're talking about the, uh, so we're definitely into the Man U game now, right? Yeah. As it as. Um, Steve Bruce's PR man on this podcast. <laughs> uh, I'm, what I'm, I will admit to being underwhelmed and disappointed by the selection of uh, Hendrick and Joe Linton, who seem to be the two standout players in that lineup, mm. where it's hard to see what they're adding. I'm to make a case for why that's happening. I'm guessing that it's that Fraser, I'm hoping the only reason Fraser's not in the side at the moment is he's not considered uh, quite ready to be starting on a regular basis. And I'm guessing with Almiron that I think Steve Bruce doesn't fancy him because of his physicality. And to be fair... The one time I remember Almiron getting a start in the Premier League this season was the Spurs game. And I think he was terrible in that game. Uh, Do you have any thoughts, Paul? I think Almiron's had a good season when he's come on. I think he should be starting. I think there's... Yeah. 
I, I think Joe Linton's getting in ahead of him, not necessarily for footballing reasons. I think we could be much more effective if we had him. But he's a hot and cold player as well. He's one of those players that the more he's on the bench, the better he gets because everyone's memory of him is of a very consistent... So do, do you think the deal with... Do, do you think Joe Linton's starting just because they're still trying to make this £40 million number nine yeah. work in some way? I yeah. think we're the only club where a £40 million signing is too big to fail. But also... Right. I think he's going to have to play a fair bit this season just because of how quick the games are coming. But I'd personally like to see Almiron play more. Yeah. One thing that, one thing that I, I noticed is that Joe Linton's had his best game in the Premier League when he was playing at that number 10 role. So he was, he was working just, just off Wilson. And I've no problem with... If if you want him in there for his physicality um, and you don't think Almiron's got it, I've no problem with with having Joe Linton in that side, in that number ten role. But sticking him out on the wing, it's it's again, it's just like he's not a fucking winner. Like I don't understand why you would pick that forty. If you have to play that forty million pound player because he's too big to fail or the some kind of contract stipulation, I don't know. But if you've got to pick him, then pick him as close to his best position as possible so that you get the most out of him. And, I don't know, shuffle Hendrick to right wing because he had a brilliant game in his debut against West Ham. This best position that Joe Linton supposedly has seems to be a position that no football team plays. (laughs) It's like, this? oh no, Joe Linton is... It's a very specific position. He's amazing if he played in this very specific position that was only played in the 1920s Peruvian League. But it's all the Firmino position. I think we, Joe Linton's had recently an, an okay game on the left, but the problem is the, the bar is so low for what constitutes good. So an impressive yeah. Joe Linton performance, you're still looking at it thinking that wasn't complete dog shit. But when you've got yeah. Almiron, who's so explosive, on the bench and Fraser, both mm. should be getting in ahead of him. It'd be well. This is. I think this the case to start in Joe Linton is dropping every week. Yeah, and I think this this is something that. So if if you were going into a game against Man U and the 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 idea is to just defend for your life, like loads of men behind the ball and just just hang on, um, you you want opportunities to break and you either get that through Saint Maximan or through a pacey player. Now, Joe Linton, whatever he is, he's not a pacey player. So coming back to your thing, Fergus, where you said at the beginning, it was like you couldn't understand the the exclusion of Fraser, apart from maybe he's not fit yet, or Almiron. And both of those players would have performed a much better role than, than Joe Linton would, and arguably Hendrick, because I... I Hendrick didn't seem to do anything other than a bit of running around. So just Almiron does that. So why not just stick him in there? I think Hendrick's there for defensive coverage, much in the way Matt Ritchie is when he plays on the wing. It's more about Mm. having someone who'll do the work. I I can see the logic in that. I don't necessarily like it, but I think if you're having to compensate for more flair players, there's no harm in that. But I don't think Jolinton offers you anything that the other two don't. Mm. Which is that thing again, where where you say, well, if okay, if you want to give license to the attacking players, then and you're going to camp deep, 
than actually play the attacking players, not this halfway house of, of Joel Linton on the right wing. Like, so it, it just, none of it seemed to make sense. Yeah. As well, you would think that front four, if they were all fit of Almiron, Fraser, Wilson, St. Maximin, would be a very good pressing unit. Yeah. Speed on them. Because St. Maximum's not lazy. I mean, we've said before that he's he's not technically gifted when it comes to the defensive side of things. And I'd say the same is true of Almiron. Um, But they do put in a shift. Like, they will track back. They will run around. And also, they've got bags of movement, which will push the the opposition or keep them pegged back a bit because they're so so mobile that, that, yeah, you've got, like, it would would allow us to do that. Just once again to try and um, make defend defense. Bruce. <laughs> well, you know, on some, on, in some instances, my defense of Bruce is genuine and heartfelt. In some instances, I'm just trying to see what the case might be. You know, as his attorney, um, <laughs> uh, Saint Maximin, you could make the case that although he, I wouldn't, he's not a lazy player. He does track back not like someone like Robert, but you could make the case that St. Maximin is a bit of a luxury player because we don't know what the fuck he's going to Go do. Go on, then make that case. <laughs> I think what was the game earlier yeah, this season player, right? where he gave away a penalty and you, did he get dropped the next game? He was just... We were over... Against Brighton. St. Maximin yeah, I mean, against Brighton, he had, a, ever. he had an absolute nightmare. But... I would say he is a bit of a luxury player in the sense that he he gives you an unbelievable amount in an attacking sense, but he does do a lot of dribbling in places where you wouldn't really want Wanted to, to be done. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes, again, he will, he, sometimes, often he will win you a foul then, uh, yeah. or or he will make something happen. Perhaps he sees Almiron as that kind of player as well. And I do get the sense that Steve Bruce, in an old-fashioned way that you would expect of a fat man with Steve Bruce's face, I, I, I think, he, I think he, look, he likes physical players. I think he maybe looks at Joe Linton and thinks, well, you're a big lad. Yeah. <laughs> he just looks yeah. at Joe Linton and Almiron next to each other and think that Joe Linton can do a job, you know. Yeah, which is why he played him up front as a target man when the lad's not a target man. I think with just to come back to something you were saying, like um, the way that he's dribbling in areas that you don't want him to dribble, I think, again, that's just because we're playing so deep. You play him, like if he's if he's having to dribble out of danger 40 yards up the pitch, you don't care. But when he's dribbling out of danger 35 yards away from your goal, you care a lot. Because you know, one minute, yeah, but like not if, every that's lots of teams play deep, they don't necessarily have someone dribbling out with the ball, you know. But yeah, but the, but as we said, the plan is to get the ball to St. Maximum, yeah, sure, yeah, fair enough. So he is receiving the ball wherever he is. No, that is fair enough. Um, anything else to say on that game? I think there's a lot we could talk about, Paul. Is yeah, it's a weird one. I thought. When we talked about this on the WhatsApp group quite a lot, but the, I felt there was a very big disconnect to what the game was like watching it and the reaction after the game. I, I didn't find it 
that unenjoyable to watch. I thought it was quite a fun watch. I thought it was we were in the game up until the 86th minute. It was still one all. It wasn't terrible apart from the collapse at the end. And we actually had a few decent shots. And then, especially after the Burnley game, where the, the feeling was that should calm everything down a bit now and this boom or bust fan reaction might have gone. After the game, you would think we were rock bottom of the table and had just been absolutely battered for 90 minutes. Well then, but we were absolutely battered for 90 minutes. I mean, I know that you you, you reference uh, we did have a couple of chances. Like the one that stands out for me is the Wilson chance where De Gea pulled off a great save. Mm. Um, St. Maximum had a shot from outside the area. I think Shelby had a shot from outside the area that, that De Gea made decent saves on. But they and had... there were a few instances around the uh, around the box where a chance could have been made but wasn't quite. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but then in the last, I mean, we've conceded what twenty eight shots against against Man U. Twenty eight shots. We we were battered. Can I, Carl, can Darlo, I, Carl Darlo had to make fourteen saves. Can I say something which, about that? Right. Go on. You you. I'll let you finish your point, and then I'll come back. We had Darlo had to make fourteen shots. Uh, fourteen saves. Sorry. And that's now equal to the the, the, the record that was set by um, Tinkrell and De Gea, by the way. Um, and he, that's twice, like once against Spurs, once against Man U, where we, he's been absolutely peppered with shots that he's had to be brilliant to save. Um, that's that's not sustainable. We were battered. Why do you hate record breakers, Dave? <laughs> I love Roy Castle. <laughs> so... This is quite. I would say that uh, conceding twenty-eight shots is not a good thing, right? That's not a start. Well, that is a bold statement. Well, I will say that right. That is not a sign of, of a team that is uh, doing well in that match, right? But it doesn't tell the full story, right? I will concede that in the Spurs game, we were battered for ninety minutes yeah. and didn't offer anything going forward. In the Man U game. 28 shots, the XG in the Man U game, Man U were down for 2.2 goals, right? Mm. 28 shots, that wasn't, that was 28 shots, most of which were, were nothing, right? In the, I know this is a com- completely different uh, level of opposition, but in the Newport County game, it was considered, <laughs> right? Okay, let's no, make it you stop now. <laughs> I'm making, I'm making the case. I'm making the case that the shots don't tell the full story, right? All right. In the in the Newport okay. County game, we had something like 28 shots, but everyone was saying, "Well, we should have been battering them for 90 minutes, but we weren't even knocking on the door." But we had 20 something shots, but that didn't tell the full story, and that works both ways. I, I would love to. T- I would love to tell you the full story of the Man U game then. Well, clearly, right, as you admitted, right, in, in, in the WhatsApp, right, I think the general consensus was clearly Man United deserved to win. But it didn't, it wasn't a 4-1 performance. We did collapse in the last five minutes. 2-1 would have been a deserved scoreline mm-hmm. for Man United. Yeah, yeah. That's a terrible thing. It's not good. I'm not going to walk away from that game uh, singing... The Bladen races. 
But, um, wow, this, this guy's a real Geordie. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not like you would make it out like we had just been like absolutely humiliated and were the worst team ever to play football and that was we're absolutely destroyed. 28 shots doesn't tell the full story. That's all I'd say. No, I, I, I take your point. What I would suggest is that the defending that Newport County put in, the defensing, defensive shift they put in against us was better than the defensive shift we put in against Man U. Now, I know Man U have got much better players than we do, but then we've got much better players than Newport County. Man U, they weren't just um, having lots of shots. They were... They were good in possession. They were playing some really good football. Um, they were wide open at the back and we could and should have punished them. But our performance as a whole was was bad. And we said it in the in the WhatsApp group, like, oh, there's a couple of decent performances, but we're hanging on. We are we are like up against it. And I, I felt that throughout and I was consistent in it. I know that you two were looking at it and saying, but there were a couple of good spells. But the only spells I can think of were that Wilson chance, that Shelby shot, and that St. Maxman shot. I don't think we really... I don't think we were good. I don't, I don't think we were good, but I don't think we were as bad as was made out. And I felt like we were in the game up until... Well, we were in the goal. game because it was 1-1. Well, yeah, but we, we were, were deservedly... We were and making chances. Yeah, we were making... It wasn't like previous games... Games where we had sort of Hosselu up front, where it was just watching the ball go up and pinged back and defending and nothing happening. We were better in possession than we have been in previous seasons where we've, we were better in games where we've got results, like the Spurs game. We played better against Manu than we did against Spurs. We played better against Manu than we did against Everton last season, which, where we got the very lucky 2 2. I felt mm. like we actually had a bit of attacking intent. We had enough chances to score two or three goals. It's not often you could say that. And we were playing a very expensively assembled Man U team. I think I the argument think... me and Paul are probably making and it in, is, is that everything is so uh, black and white now, to use a pun, that it's either like an, the, the worst performance ever and absolutely terrible or it's really good we're not just because we're not saying it was like really good it's not that there's like a we're centrists there's a level there right it's not i just it just seems like sometimes like an overreaction of like it's not just it's like it's like they were outplaying us they they were yes of course they're outplaying they're man united and they've got like all that talent and uh, I think it's not uh, just Newcastle, yes, it's I mean, not just football, it's, it's everything at the minute it has to be amazing or the end of the world. And we're, we're an average team who's going to have good games and shit games, and the season's sort of playing that out. I don't understand why after the good games the reaction is, oh, well, we got lucky, and after the bad games it's the fucking apocalypse. It, well, was, funny. it can... was funny to see quite a lot, it was funny to see quite a lot on social media. I know we all watched the game, and just in case anyone's uh, wondering, none of us uh, were proud to say that none of us paid for it. 
we all watched it uh, illegally. But they I were just sent a, a separate £15 check to Sky Sports. <laughs> <laughs> but I think a lot of people were saying, oh, I'm glad I didn't pay for that. Didn't watch it. Watch this instead, instead of that rubbish. So, well, you didn't actually watch it. Um, we should probably... Dave, the meeting's coming to an end. We'll uh, have mm. a break after this meeting. But if you want to make a point in the next two minutes and 30 seconds, go for it. Okay, two points. One, the, there were like, um, there was a big push for on social media for people not to pay for the game. And in fact, the, the, the fans donated, I think at last count, it was like 19,000 to the yeah. NFC Food Bank. That is incredible. That's exactly what people should be doing. Not just not watching it, but doing something good with it as well. Uh, the other po- great thing. And the other point is Bruce is shit. And that's why people are angry. And that's, and that's I, I, underlying full stop. See you after the break. But that's not new and that's not going to change. <laughs> Doesn't stop me being angry about it. Doesn't stop no. me being angry about it. It's like okay. politics. Boris Johnson's still a prick. But... I'm not going right. to accept well, it. We're going to have a break now, and after the break, I will be defending Steve Bruce. <laughs> Boris Johnson. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, Check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Hello, welcome back. Good break, guys. Lovely break. Really good. Yeah. Such a good break. That was such we should do that more often. That was such yeah. a good break. The problem is we have to quarantine after it. Yeah. When we go when we have a break like that. So we're gonna move on from the man new game, I think, because I think it's depressing. We've all said what we need to... Well, actually, or is it actually <laughs> not depressing? No, it was depressing. It just wasn't apocalyptically depressing. Okay, well, there you go. That's the, there's the um, uh, podcast title, Not Apocalyptically Depressing. <laughs> so, um, speaking of apocalyptically depressing, the uh, 25-man squad has been confirmed for the Premier League. Uh, players who miss out. There's four of them. Can you name them? Saive, surely? Yeah. Saive. You think he even checked? <laughs> he didn't bother. <laughs> yeah. I like to think that they all put, they put a sheet up in the, <laughs> in the, in the hall. Yeah. He's, like, he's just hanging around by the back. I'm not even going to go fucking look. 
<laughs> he's been in Newcastle so long he's like he's like the most Geordie member of the squad from <laughs> Geordie from what look door fucking lord of fucking shit <laughs> um, uh, Lazar isn't, wasn't in it uh, Rolando Ahrens who apparently was going to go to Huddersfield I believe but the paperwork was two minutes late. And that means that he's basically not a professional footballer for another six months or whatever it is. Well, they, because the transfer window was so late this year, here's a question I don't know the answer to. Is it still just going to be the normal January transfer window? Because that's like in two yeah. months. I think so. Yeah. 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 Right. Okay. That's, that's the idea. Between those three, that's about a hundred grand a week of wages that we couldn't offer. Why not just release them and pay the rest well, of the you've wages? Got, you've got Aaron's Atu, Lazar and Saive, and like you say, that's a hundred and some grand a week that we're just wasting. And I've got I've got a thing where like Richie and Gail are injured, like long term injuries. Um why not like leave Richie out of the, the name squad until the January window opens. Name Saive because we're a bit short in the centre of the park at the minute because Sean Longstaff's not fully fit. Um, Matty Longstaff, uh, he played a bit for the under-23s uh, uh, last night, so whenever you listen to him, it could be a couple of nights ago. Hayden's injured. He's got a hamstring problem. So it's only really Shelby that's a... a, a uh, specialist central midfielder that's fit. So why not name Saive? Because those bang average hasn't played competitive football in a long time. He's still surely better than shoehorning Fabian Shah into the, the centre of the park where we know that doesn't work. And you, all you need to do is come January, drop him out of the 25 squad, like try and sell him if you can or release him and pull Richie back in. I, I just don't, I don't see the that, that that seemed to be a real obvious logical quick fix to a to a problem that we're having at the minute. I wonder if the reason they yeah. do it is because they did that with Paul Dummett before COVID and then got burnt by him being fully fit but not being able to play because the season got so the season gets cancelled again, which wouldn't necessarily be the biggest surprise. I wonder if they just had that in mind, but. But like I say, January's coming up. I wouldn't really want Saive in the team. As shit as Fabian Shah is in midfield, it's probably like for like. We have no idea, to be honest, none of us, what how close Henri Saive is right now to a professional footballer. Mm, true. I mean... But I just... I, I, it was one of those things where I, I looked at a purely at a... a Square pegs and square holes. And I thought, well, Saive's more of a midfielder than Fabian Char is. And what if we get a couple of injuries at the at centre-half, which is entirely possible, and Fabian Char has to play there? Who are we then going to get to play the centre-midfield role? Is it going to be Almiron? I wonder what happened with Saive. I mean, was Saive ever, like, absolutely dreadful when he played for us? I think a few times. He had that one good game against West Ham where he scored and then went out on loan. Yeah. 
And he, he was okay when he went out on loan. He wasn't. It wasn't like he we've had plenty of players just as shit as we've had plenty of players just as shit as Saive in the last ten years. I mean, you it's wonder that that level of player who sort of the mid-table teams would be looking at as a bargain that could grow into a decent player are the ones we've traditionally gone. We're going to get them because we could make a huge profit on them. So we've given them six-year contracts of wages that no one else will ever be able to afford for them. And then we just get stuck with it. It seems to be a, a recurring thing with us. Very much have the air of a player that we pick up from West Ham. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also, it, it, it harks back to something that you said a while ago, uh, where he's not a player that we'll just write off. I think you gave the example of like uh, Leicester picked up Slomani for an expensive transfer fee. It didn't work out. They farmed him out on loan for a bit and then it didn't work out. So they just got rid of him. Mm. Like, why aren't we saying to Saibe, all right, instead of paying you, like, I think he's on about 40 grand a week, instead of paying you 40 grand a week for the next five years, how about we offer you a round on loan? If it doesn't work out, we'll release you for this, you know, much reduced like release fee. We'll pay you a million quid or whatever, and you can just go off and, and be a free agent and, and find your way. The same I think in general, I think, every, I think every football club ends up with these problems, with these players on long contracts who are no longer worth the money that you're paying them. And in general, as a professional footballer, generally you you want to be paid the money that you you had in that contract you know mm-hmm. it's a problem that happens it's a problem as old as time um uh one player i was surprised that we couldn't get rid of was christian atsu i mean surely i'm sure yeah, yeah there's talk of celtic being after him which seems sort of perfect for him like yeah. spl I mean, even on loan yeah so yeah, now that he's not in the squad, you know, seems he seems a, he's a loss to football. I think and if it wasn't for COVID, he would definitely be out at the championship at any number of clubs. But I think just with the the finances of teams at the minute, I think those sort of players are just harder to shift this year. Mm. No, that but I think the the, the minute that you're the minute that you're left out of a Premier League squad and you're not picked up on loan or anything else. Your your career is on a downward spiral. Like I, I can't see a way that Henri Saive is going to have another club. He's you know once the contract ends, he'll 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 just retire because he'll be a millionaire comfortably. And I mean, Atsu, what's he now? Like twenty eight. Speaking of that, I was looking at um, Jamie Sterry's Wikipedia page today. Jamie Sterry. Obviously. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Is he there? Like most of us. Yeah. Jamie Sterry, 24-year-old right back, been with the cl- you know, he's been with the club since he was a kid, made three appearances for us. He's always been around. He will have, he's 24 years old, will have been, for the last couple of years, been getting a couple of grand a week which outside of football, you know, is a, is a lot of money for someone in their early 20s to be getting. And now he's been released, has no club, and in the current circumstances, you know, it's hard to, you know, where, 
I imagine he's going to show up somewhere in the not, maybe non-league or like League Two or something. It's, too, it's quite sad. What a weird position yeah. to be a 24-year-old. You haven't actually played. He's played, I'm on his Wikipedia page again. I just can't stay off it. He's played like, he's played like 30 first-team professional games. He's 24 years old, and you wonder, well, will he ever play another one? It's quite sad. Yeah, I think any yeah. other season, there's normally a safety net of sort of mid to lower level SPL clubs or League One and Two teams, but there's just mm. they can't afford the wages of pretty much anyone that isn't going to. They can't afford the wages of the players that they've already got. They can't be expanding their team to accommodate a 24 year old who will be expecting. You know, he's not going to expect like. Premier League wages, but he's going to be expecting to be one of the better players, better paid players. I think the best thing for him to do, and it's something that I think all of the players who are in his position, because there'll be a lot, is I former boy coaching badge, former boy band, yeah, obviously. Uh, But like, get your coaching badges or get involved in football in some way. At the same time as you're just turning up for the local non-league side for like you know fifty quid a an appearance just do that because honestly he's not going to get a professional contract now and not for the foreseeable and the longer he goes without a professional contract the harder it's going to be for him to get one I would say just try and get a job at Serco <laughs> they're chucking money at everything <laughs> just, just try and do an advert in Spain That's that seems to be a, a real career route for people <laughs> Um, that was a reference, by the way, if you're listening to um, something that was said when we weren't recording. <laughs> um, uh, yes, that's right, guys. Tomorrow I'm auditioning for an advert in Spain. I'll, uh, don't forget to tune into the next podcast to find out how that went. <laughs> it's a cliffhanger. <laughs> so um, You're going to be the face of tapas at last. Well, speaking of tapas... mainland europe whose ass have you been tapping this week no i was going to bring this on to i know dave you wanted to to bring this up and it seems something worthwhile talking about the uh the the potential european super lead league dave you want to give us some thoughts on that so I don't know if people have, I mean, I'm sure if, if you've got a passing interest in football, you'll have seen the reports that the um, there's a FIFA-backed plan to have a European Super League where four, maybe five English Premier League sides, a couple from Spain, a couple from Italy, etc., will form a league and it will be a closed shop and they'll play each other and compete against each other to get, you know, to finish high up in that league. And those 20 founding members will be there for, you know, perpetuity. They'll be there forever. So I personally hope that Liverpool and Man U and Man City go off and fucking do this. Just, just, just go, like, piss off, go and play your, your pathetic games against, Atletico Madrid on a Wednesday night because frankly it's been rumbling on for so long that I'm 
bored of it. I'm bored of the rumours. I'm bored of them holding it over the, the Premier League as a threat because I don't think it'll stop. I don't think it'll supplant the, the Premier League. I don't think it'll get more interest than the Premier League will so that they can... They can fuck off and have this like uh, Saths Champions League. They can just fuck off and let, let us keep playing proper football. Just to try and clarify exactly what this is, I was I heard uh, Newcastle Natter favourite Steve McLaren on Five Live today, and he reckoned this is a it's a replacement for the Champions League. Mm-hmm. So it's not that these clubs will be leaving the Premier League. No, no. Just but to clarify, be... I there seems to be a lot of misunderstanding about that going on. Sorry, online at the moment. Just to clarify, it's not that um, Liverpool and Man U and whoever will no longer be in the Premier League. It's that they will be playing in it as, in addition to the Premier League, they will be playing in a in a in a European competition that is not. Whose whose um, uh, participants are not like decided on a yearly basis. Mm. It's like you say, it's a closed shop, right? Have you got yeah. any thoughts on this, Paul? I've, I don't understand if there's any. I don't think there's any. Is there a desire from it or for it from anyone apart from those clubs? What happens as well if you finish top four? Now, is there any? Are there any European incentives to play in the Premier League if this thing comes in? And it, it seems to go against the whole nature of I think, competition yeah, and sport. I think what's going on here is sort of like late stage capitalism. It's like that. It's it's what's going. It's what's happening. If you think about what happens in La Liga, right? Barcelona and Real Madrid get way way more TV rights money than the rest of La Liga because they're they're more valuable brands and they've uh, demanded that. And then, of course, that just, like, increases exponentially over time that it's a self-fulfilling thing and it just goes on and on because they get richer and richer uh, and uh, more powerful than the clubs below them. And it seems like what's happening is that the top, top, clubs in European football are multi-billion pound businesses owned by business people and they see they just want to they they want to milk those assets for as much as they can and they think well why do why uh, Leicester City why and getting money that we should have mm. you What's know the they, American- they've got more fans around the world we should be getting we should be milking that for everything it's worth why do we have to go and play a team who's got five percent of the fan what global fans that we have and share the money or, you know, yeah or, well it's yeah. it's the americanization of it it's it's because it it smacks of like oh if if you can petition to be to join this league or maybe get invited by the league to to join which it's, it's just expansion teams in the NFL, isn't it? It's just, all right, you, you can join us. But ironically, the ironic, but the ironic thing about American sport is on the one hand, incredibly like capitalist in that sense. It's this huge business. 
but it's also really egalitarian. It's really sort of socialist, weirdly, in American sport, because you have your, like, 32 teams or whatever in your league in major sports, but you can support any of those teams, and within two years, your team could win, could be the team that wins the World Series or the NBA Finals or whatever. Mm-hmm. They divvy out the players to the to the different teams in a very if you are really shit one season you have a much better chance of getting the best 21 year old player in the world but well, then but, yeah sorry God. but the other side is that of that in 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 the states is that your team could in five years time move to the other side of the continent and then you will no longer have a team because they but then you've also just moved on. Go on. But then you've also got the 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 example that uh, I don't know a lot about American sports, but somebody was saying that the Dolphins, the Miami Dolphins NFL team, they were doing so badly that, that they just deliberately tanked their own season because they wanted the first that's round draft reg- pick. That's, well, that's a very regular thing in all American sports. Yeah, and I know that can't happen in the yeah, in the in this in football because. You know, we're not going to have a draft system. It's it, there are too many markets of players. Players don't come, don't all come through a college system. So I understand that that's not going to happen. But I just the whole idea of them having this this like Gazprom league where they trot about and have meaningless games against you know other big clubs. It's just the fucking Club World Cup. Nobody gives a shit about the Club World Cup. So eventually, nobody will give a shit about this. Because, like, in five years' time of, of Real Madrid or PSG, um, Real Madrid or PSG winning this Gazprom League or whatever they're going to call it, Man U and Liverpool finishing mid-table there, then the fans are going to stop bothering going. The fans are going to not care as much about watching their team get beaten by Real Madrid again. They're not going to do it. At least in the Premier League, when when Man City come 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 to visit, you've got to hope that you might beat them. You've got to you know blah blah blah, but you're not grading yourself against them every season. You're grading yourself about the progress that your team's making and everything else that goes on with it. Maybe getting into a cup competition, maybe doing this, but there's only going to be one winner of this fucking league, and it's not going to be the fans. It's not even going to be the clubs. It's just the money men. It's the only people who benefit from it. Well, any more thoughts on that before I head to? It doesn't excite me, but I can see, I can see the excitement having, in theory, the twenty best, although it's only the twenty best or twenty richest at this moment, clubs in Europe in a league together. The games that that would throw up would be exciting, but it doesn't interest me at all. I've not, I don't want to see it happen. But I think it I was would just going to say you get it in the Champions the League, Champions. though, don't you? Well, it would be as popular as the Champions League. I think it, would, it wouldn't be. You get it in. You get it in the Champions League, but I guess the feeling is still in the Champions League. Some weeks, PSG has to go through the indignity of FC Copenhagen. You know, yeah, I think the idea now is what you are only going to get. Coca-Cola playing McDonald's. Coca-Cola aren't going to have to go through the indignity of playing um, 
Chicken cottage. Uh, I'm trying to think of that fucking lemonade. I'm the, trying to think Sprint. of that rent. Uh, no. R whites. That was it. Thank you. That was going to be the end of my sentence. I've got to work out. After this, as you can see, you're playing R whites lemonade. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Right? You know? But if you're R whites lemonade, it's not great news for you with this league. Exactly. Happening. Exactly. Mm. But it's it's the most boring side of football and it just if it happens, fuck him. If it doesn't, fuck him. Not too <laughs> that work? We'll see, but you do you know, it does seem it does if you add COVID to it as well and everything that that's doing to lower league clubs, it does sort of feel like football is just being dragged gradually towards a state where, however long it's going to take, despite all despite all the money and all the um, uh, foreign players and and TV and everything, in many respects, football now in Britain isn't that different to what it was fifty years ago, and it's like at its core, right? It's like four main professional divisions where you get promoted and relegated all these professional clubs that have existed for a hundred years playing each other. Uh, but in 50 years time, you do wonder it's something like that still going to be around. And I fear probably not. Well, I think it's in two years, whether that's going to be around depending on crowds coming in anytime soon. Yeah. Well, Jesus, I thought we were going to call this non-apocalyptic depression. Well, well you know, you brought it up, Dave. So, well, yeah, uh, but mine was anger, not, not you know, bleakness. Jesus. We'll survive without them. They can fuck off. Yeah. I'm the one who wants positivity. Well, I'm being know. positive, you miserable prick. All right, then. Steve Bruce is doing really well. <laughs> I said positive, not testing not positive. So um, I asked for some uh, questions from uh, Nicole Nasser followers on Twitter, and here are a few. The very first one was Gerard, and it was just very clear. Thoughts on QAnon? We're <laughs> 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 all um, pretty much. I mean, it's I mean, terrifying, terrifying and worryingly similar to football at the minute in that it's a group very entrenched in one position who cannot be reasoned with, which seems to be right, yeah. sort there of we go. and mental. QAnon, that far from Newcastle, NUFC Twitter. Um, okay. Any Potter? says, once the top six piss off, how long before our first stick treble under the Audis? Well, yeah, I think that's a question. That's a, that's a comment under the guise of a question, really. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, other, if... The other thing to mention is the Saudi takeover is still seemingly going on behind the scenes. Hmm. Right, I've seen yeah. stuff about Mike Ashley still pursuing it. 
and the um, proposed, what was it called? Operation Big Picture or whatever. The proposed yeah. uh, top six clubs who would be able to sort of control football and deny takeovers and all that. That doesn't seem to be happening. So, so uh, yeah, that could still happen. And if they do all piss off and have their own league or whatever, then you would you'd have to say we could be candidates for the best of the rest. Josh Granger says, I'm reading these fresh. Josh Granger says, it seems like a good time to gauge everyone's as of getting relegated. Josh is going first with... All right. It's a good... That's an ex- excellent tweet there, Josh. It is, that is a very great... I missed a bit of that because of the dodgy internet. Is that percentage chances of getting relegated? Percentage chance of going down. Josh's is 30%. What is yours, Paul? 10%, I think. 10%. Dave? Yeah, 30, 33%. Oh, one in three chance. Yeah. Right. One in three chance of going down. Why is everyone so fucking miserable then? Right, mine is... uh, (laughs) There's not a plan. There's not a plan. Um... Uh, I'm going to put it I'm coming uh, up with a plan I'm putting it at 20% 20% 20% chance of going down it's fine by me I can live with that Tony Armstrong says okay Brucey lovers I think that's for you I think that's for me you're a big a big Bruce Forsyth fan still missing Andrew York Paul you've got caught in the crossfire there maybe Okay, Brucey lovers, do you think Big B has been told to play Joe Linton, or is he just a really crap manager who hasn't a clue how to set up a team? I mean, we've sort of addressed this so far, haven't we? I think you can yeah. from listening to the podcast so far, you can understand. You, you can you can gauge where we all stand on that. Uh, okay, uh, Paul M says. Will we finish the season with Almiron and Fraser warming the bench and Joe Linton disgracing the turf? We're on a similar theme here. How long before Brucey wakes up uh, slash is allowed to drop him? Well, um, yeah, what do we think? The next game? Do we? Th- I think I'd like to see Fraser start a game soon. I know he's very... He's not particularly match fit, but he's had a couple of games for Scotland now. He seems to have got minutes under his belt. I think Fraser yeah. and or Almiron should be in the next game. I think Joel I mean, Fraser, yeah, I think or Hedrick. Fraser one. is Bruce's player, so surely he fancies Fraser. Yeah. Yeah, I think the, the next game is Wolves, so I, I don't think we need the... I don't, I don't think we need the physicality of, of what well, the perceived physicality of Joel Linton against Wolves. I think we need... You know, pace and, and and endeavor and movement. I think, yeah, I would personally have both of them in the in the in the team. I think as well with the injuries we've got, Hendricks probably going to be playing centre mid as well. I'd like to see mm. that just to see because that's what he thinks is his strongest position. Well, Hendricks did play. Did Hendricks did play centre midfield against Man United, didn't he? Did he? Yeah. Yeah. Was, ah. yeah, Jordan was well ostensibly he played there. Right uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I think I think it's fair to say we'd all be surprised and disappointed if Fraser at least didn't start against Wolves. Well, I, I want to uh, see Almer on back as well. He's I, I, I was really, excited. 
I really wanted to see Almiron back, but he did really disappoint me against Spurs. But everyone was shit against Spurs. So. Yeah, the other games, he's come on and scored or assisted in most of them, hasn't he? Mm. I, think, I mean, yeah. the, the game against Man U, he, he brought on in like the 86th, 88th minute or something. He had no time to affect the game when you think he was a perfect introduction when we were, you know, getting hammered. Like, have somebody who has got that electric pace. So you have got an, an outlet, a release ball. But sure, I Bruce, like that, Bruce yeah. has got a different plan, apparently. Sure. But that's been the thing for most of our previous managers, us making our substitutions way too late. Yeah. That's to me. Uh, the, uh, the Right Honourable, Reverend Joe Kinsella, says, uh, he asks, what's the funniest thing you've seen or heard at a football game? Um, I'm really shit at this because I don't remember it. Like, you've actually in the moment, I'm a piss myself. You, you've actually never been to one. I've played FIFA. Fuck off. <laughs> no, I, I don't. Like, at the time, something that's absolutely banal after the game will make me crease up during it, like a particularly fat lad taking his top off or something. But it's not really, it doesn't live long in the telling. But, um, I'm sure you two have had much more interesting things because you're much more interesting people. <laughs> Paul? Uh, does after the game count? Sure. Yeah. I think on the train home after one game, uh, when we had Ketspire getting the train back on before it left Newcastle Station, <laughs> bloke ran up and sang, I am the god of hellfire and I bring you Ketspire turned around, pulled his pants down, stretched his arse cheeks open, then ran off the train. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought, yeah, that's, that's what you want. If you don't know anything about football and you sat on a train just going to Darlington. To be- Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Paul did witness, uh, this was mentioned on the podcast a couple of times before, but we did witness once at uh, White Hart Lane uh, at Newcastle. We were in away end and a Newcastle fan who really a Londoner nothing wrong with that uh, shouting out cough you cockney bastards <laughs> like had such a cockney accent but just kept saying, yeah. we are the Josie the Josie boot I'll shut down you cockney. fucking cockneys <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he had his top off and he was with a girl as well. <laughs> he just thought she she is having the worst time. I think also honourable mention for we the had- Stuart impersonator at the away pub at West Ham where we were we were pretending we weren't Newcastle fans. That was amazing. That yeah. was amazing. Uh, I, uh, as I mentioned from time to time, for a few years, I used to regularly go to Leighton Orient. Missed those days. And a lot of funny things happened there, most of which I can't remember. I, I had a half-season ticket one season, so I sat next to a guy who, like, you could hear. So I used to sit in the East Stand, and then I decided, I thought, oh, the action looks like it's in the South Stand. There was a guy in the East Stand when I was sat in the East Stand, there was a guy in the South Stand that you could hear. The whole stadium could hear this guy. He'd always shout like a cornice, hit him, hit him, you fucking nuts, hit him, you can't. It was just like so loud. This one guy, the players could hear everything he shouted. 
And then I got a half season ticket in the South Stand and I was literally sat next to him. <laughs> he, was the, he was the man that I was sat next to. I did witness once at Leighton Orient the referee send off a ball boy. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why. Ball boy done something the referee didn't like. He literally set him off. I was saying, you set him off? He's shooting off? And that was funny. I, I think as well, right. not that any of us three saw it in the flesh, but Matt Ritchie kicking that corner flag into the fans' bollocks. That was proper slap. <laughs> oh, that reminds me. I remember seeing um, Robbie Savage getting poleaxed by the referee. Um, I remember uh, Lon Robert nearly decapitating Olivia Bernard with a with a clearance. Sure. Um, yeah. m- most of the funniest shit that I saw happened on the pitch. I saw Kieran Dyer and, and um, Lee Bowyer having a fight, which in hindsight was hilarious at the time. It was infuriating. But yeah, and obviously same game, Stephen Taylor's phantom oh, yeah. handball. Yeah, so I've I've seen lots of funny shit, but on the pitch, I don't remember anything off it because it's all just fat lads with the tops off or um, tiny little men wanting to have a fight with you. You know, shit like that. So, we are playing Wolves this Sunday. Super Sunday, Sky Sports, 4.30pm, away at uh, Wolves. Thoughts, Dave? I'm not looking forward to it because although although they haven't been electric this year um, so far, Wolves are still a good side. Um, I thought I saw something about Jimenez being missing, but that might not be the case. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not confident, and not just because of the last game, but just in general. Just I think Wolves are a good side, and even if we were playing well, I wouldn't fancy us. Uh, do you have a, a score prediction? Dave? Uh, I think 3-1. I think if Almiron plays, I fancy him to get a goal. That'd be nice. It'd be something to be happy about. Paul? Yeah, I thought Wolves had started much worse than they have. I think they had a, an underwhelming first couple of games, but they're six in the table. They're actually not doing too badly. Uh, yeah, I worry... We seem to always be in the game against Wolves and something off the ball happens. Is that is it a punch on someone that didn't get punished? We should have had a penalty. That feels like a couple of seasons ago now. I saw them against uh, Leeds last night. I watched pretty much the whole of that game. And I really, I really wanted to watch it because I've been hearing so much about Leeds, Bielsa's Leeds. And I've never actually really sat down and watched them properly. And uh, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed watching Leeds. I was jealous of Leeds fans getting to watch uh, them play that style of football. Uh, it really is quite amazing how like uh, rapidly they sort of work together as a team and all of that. It's silky football but then at the end it sort of started to remind me of watching Norwich at the beginning of last season not that I think that Leeds will do as badly as Norwich did at all I think that I think surely they're going to do quite well this season but it, it Wolves just did not see Leeds, Leeds seemed to dominate that game but Wolves perhaps with the Premier League experience and the 
the better man-for-man squad were able to grind out a victory. I think at least the only team who've conceded more shots than us this season, which doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, there you go. Um, So, uh, yeah, I would imagine that... uh, that's going to make it a hard game for us. Did you did you give me a, a score prediction, Paul? No, I think I'm more interested in what how we're going to set up. Hopefully, we're going to drop Joe Linton. I think that needs to happen. I th- I, they're always quite. I don't know. I might be completely misremembering, but they always feel quite tight affairs. I'm going to go two. I'm going to go one all. You're right, they aren't tight affairs. I'm looking at the the, the last results and and um yeah, one ones one two one and one one nil and that's you know the, the majority of the games are, are really tight. Like just plus I don't know if Darlow's gonna be fit, um, which mm-hmm. will mean Gillespie's in nets and Frawley had a good game against Blackburn. He did drop that clangor against Newport, so I I don't know. Uh, just, yeah, that was one. Incident. Hopefully, that's not a sign of things to come. It's hard to like judge a keeper on one clanger. Like, yeah, true. And also God. Hayden. Yeah, we'll miss Hayden. That's going to be a big one. Mm. It's interesting. One Darlow. Mm. Do you think like? Do you think Darlow's actually in with a shot of getting in the England squad? Because he's being talked about. A bit, but I'm not sure that's just the people I follow on Twitter that are talking about it, or whether there is any traction. I, th- I think if he were putting in these performances at a more fashionable club, um, like I think, Villa think, yeah. or West Ham, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, but I think I think the reason that he's getting talked about in, with uh, with the share of the England squad is because he's. You know, on two occasions, made over ten saves in a match. So he's getting a lot of attention because he's mm. being in the highlights a lot. Um, I don't think he's England keeper level yet. I think he's Is been brilliant Jordan for us. Pickford? No, no, he's not. <laughs> Jordan Pickford's really fucking not. But I just don't think Darlow's there yet. If he keeps, if he, if he can play. And um, isn't out for any length of time. If he maintains this this standard of performance, then yeah, why not? Mm. He, he certainly, you know, he certainly can pull off the big saves. And his, I mean, his distribution's a bit suspect, but the rest of this game's all right. So it's just the case not? that if you play a series of games in a row and you're English, and you play a series of games in a row at, as goalkeeper. In the Premier League, you're going to get talked about for England, isn't it? I mean, that's just... Yeah, I don't think it's even limited to, to goalkeeper. You look at, like, Sean Longstaff was being talked about maybe getting in the England squad and it was a decision between him and Declan Rice. And that's based on, what did he have, like, eight games where he looked good at the end of the season before last? We could do with that Sean Longstaff coming back. I know there's a lot of talk about him becoming more of a number 10 this season. But if you look at the mm. players we've got whose best position is number 10, you're sort of looking yeah. at St. Maximum, Joel Linton. Joel Linton. And <laughs> that, is, that might be his best position, but he's still way down the pecking order. 
You saw how could, good Longstaff was alongside Hayden. Surely. We could um, desperately do with both the Longstaff brothers turning into the players that we uh, hoped they could be uh, yeah. a year or two ago because I think the centre of midfield is our, uh, although Hayden's been playing well, just in, it seems to be our weakest area at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to and see I think someone that, make Shelby droppable as well. Yeah. I think that's the thing for me is that Shelby at the minute um, forces us to play a certain way. And if you have Longstaff in the game, there's not going to be as many Hollywood passes, but Longstaff can carry the ball a bit, which means that, mm. that, that it's lower risk passes to our forward players. Um, and our forward players are receiving the ball higher up the pitch. Um, but on form, Sean Longstaff doesn't deserve to be picked no. ahead of Shelby right now. So we're in a quandary. Well, um, I'm going to go for a 2-1 loss, but I'm still a lot more positive than anyone else. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm going to go for a 2-1 loss and I'm also going to go with, if that happens, it's not the end of the world. I don't think I... No, I did say my percentage chance of going down, didn't I? 20%. Okay, so... Before we end, before we end I've got one question. What will it take for you, Fergus, to turn on Bruce? Um, uh, I don't know. It's hard to say. I don't even know how I would define turn on Bruce. Because I'm not... I want him out. For a better manager to be available. I would not be like, I'm not like team Bruce. I just, if we sacked Bruce and brought in, if we had new owners and they got rid of Bruce and brought in Pochettino, I wouldn't be like in the corner going, what a great in- injustice that is. Like some TV pundits maybe will be. I'm not mm. like, Team Bruce, I like I, I uh, like I will keep on saying, I'm just like it's not either Bruce is this brilliant manager and the best we can do, and uh, I support him to the end, or Bruce is the worst manager who's ever existed and should be shot in the street. I'm like <laughs> I'm somewhere in between the two of those things. How dare so you where, have a nuanced opinion on something? So where would you like him shot? No, but the, so for me, it's 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 got to the stage now where it's uh, I would take pretty much anybody. Like I, I'm I'm at that stage now where it's no longer better the devil. You know, I'd I'd, I'd happily get rid of Bruce tomorrow and bring well, in somebody I've never that's... heard of. Okay, well I think that's a ridiculous opinion. Because it's ridiculous, and it's just—it's like that's not learning the lessons of football fans for like all history. There is always someone shit around the corner. That is always what happens, and it is. And every single manager we've had for the last ten years, except for Rafa Benitez, has at some point been considered by a majority of Newcastle fans to be the worst manager in football. I think as well, like, before the Man U game, didn't we have our best start to a season since 2001 or something? <laughs> so it's... it's actually true. Before the Man U game, we had our worst season since... We had had our best start to a season since 2001. And uh, Bruce has been manager for, what, a year now? 
last season, uh, we finished 13th or whatever. The, the, I think, was it 13th? The general consensus is that um, he is this unbelievably bad manager who, as you just said, anyone would be better than. I would say that a year is a large enough sample size of football to say that he has something more going for him than just being lucky. A year is a large, statistically, is a large enough sample size to say that there are other worse managers out there who we could replace him with. And like I say, it is, that is a, as I will say to the end of time, that is not me saying Steve Bruce is a great manager, but it is also not me saying that, that he is the worst manager ever. I'm somewhere <laughs> in between the two. I think not having I, crowds in the stadium is the thing that's skewing everything this year. Because normally on Twitter, you get all this chat about, oh, we want him out and it's going to be bedlam. And then the crowds are normally fine. Like There'll be a few boos and that's it. And the, the grown-ups in the room take over. And they're like, he's, he's doing an okay, slightly shit job. But it's nuts when you talk to fans of other teams at the minute and their, their main question is, what do you think of Bruce? It's not a loaded thing of like, isn't he the worst manager that's ever lived? To, in the eyes of other fans, he's doing okay. I think it's hard to argue against that. I don't, I don't see how it's possible to have a really strong opinion on how well he's doing either way. Oh. It's really easy. <laughs> it's that, I, no, I, you just all, ignore like, results. It, it, it's really easy. It, I don't ignore results. I, I I just don't ignore performance. And I, don't I think ignore, that I, don't ignore, I would say I don't I would ignore say, results. It's just the stats are way more important. <laughs> yeah, I would I would say, and I think I'd be comfortable saying that tactically. Steve Bruce is the worst manager we've had since, I would say, worst permanent manager. So I'm discounting John Carver. I think he's the worst manager, I've, I've tactically, the worst manager I've seen in my life. Tactically, he is the worst manager. Like, genuinely, okay, Suness was better, Rhoda was better, um, Hollett was better, Dalglish okay. was better. All okay. of these were okay, tactically but- better. Okay, but what do you want? Do you want a good tactical manager or do you want, like, points on the table? And I'm not saying it's great. I'm just saying it's... To answer your question, if you've got a good tactical manager, points get put on the board. Not necessarily. It seems like every year Palace would bring in a European manager who was a good footballer who was lauded as some tactical genius and we'll end up with no points in their first 10 games. Sacked them They've done that them. once, and that was De Boer. <laughs> that was one time. Yeah, you can't say that every Is he a better tactical manager than Bruce? I don't know. I didn't, I didn't spend enough time pouring over their performances. But um, uh, so, so one example is the... Um, uh, who was it? To, um, took over Everton... And he had a really shitty start, and he was fired pretty early into his in, into his time. But actually, the I can't remember the. the it's quite a famous manager. Is it the one that got from Watford. No, no, not um, not Silver. Um, anyway, the point the point I was trying to make is that if you're a good tactical manager, the points 
get put on the board, which is what we saw from from Benitez. Um, with with Bruce, the, he's not. A How's good, he getting the points the on the board? How's he doing it? Uh, Dubravka, Alan St. Maximum, <laughs> Dubravka, Alan St. Maximum, and Good Fortune. He did. That's that's how we're getting points on the board. I would how we say last year. more tactically rigid manager would not select Alan St. Maximum and give him the same level of freedom. He's the sort of player plenty of more tactical rigid managers would ruin. So it is still a tactical decision to give them that level. But then of you've freedom. got. But then you've got like Nuno Espirito Santo, um, the the Wolves manager, who we're coming up against in the next game, who's a who's much more creative and and and, and gets Wolves playing really well and is more um, tactically versatile. And he turned Adama Traore from this live wire attacking winger that that is often used as a reference point for some maximum, and turned him into this player with an end product and who does the like. The, the tactical work as well. So I it don't think it's binary. I don't think you, but I don't think you can be black and white. And is this season sort of isn't a lazy person who doesn't get back. He does have some tactical discipline, but has an end product. He's, he's one of the most he's exciting He's got defensive discipline, but it's, he, he definitely is. And I love watching him play. And Bruce giving him all the freedom in the world is entertaining. However, the rest of the game... The rest of the system just doesn't work. Like you what's said, the we've conceded. The, what's, what's the name of the manager uh, of the Norwich manager? Daniel Farker. Daniel Daniel Farker. Would you rather have him than Bruce? Who played an attractive style of football. Who had a tactical plan. Who had um, uh, a defence consisting of. Max Ahrens wanted by Barcelona. Jamal Lewis, who we thought was a great buy for 15 million. Uh, who else was in there? Didn't they have another one who's gone to... They've got like... Luke, one who's gone to yeah. Everton. They've, all of their defend, all of their back four from last season have gone on to like be acquired for big money or wanted for big money. But they conceded a, a massive amount of goals, and they, on the face of it, had a terrible season. But they played attractive football, and they had a tactical plan. Would you rather have him mm-hmm. or Steve Bruce? I would probably give Farker a chance ahead of Bruce. Right, <laughs> because I, I think we've got better players. And I think that um, our better players would make Farker's um, attractive style of football rewards, whereas with Bruce, I just I don't have any faith in it. I think as well, not better squad. Not to de- I don't know. If we've got a, not to defend. You know, this isn't to say Steve Bruce is a good manager, but the whole lack of tactics and just giving freedom to the better players is sort of how we've had our most success in the Premier League and is what our whole identity as the entertainers was based on. There was no... 30 years ago. Yeah, but there was still... There were still tactics. There were more tactical teams in the league then. We were very much just... Like, get the best ensemble on there and play good football. We were the the least tactical team in the history of the league under Keegan. But we could get away with it because we had the best players 
in their positions, like like Shearer, Ferdinand before him, Peter Beardsley, Rob Lee. These these were top tier players, and and at the time uh, uh, there weren't the 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 forensic managers that there are now there were there were much more play much more managers who were quite happy just to send the players out and say come on lads it's only newcastle that's how they were setting the teams out to 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 play against us when when football changed and became more about the tactics more about the pressing style and the and the, the transitional play and all this stuff that's only really come to the fore in the last what 10 years 10 15 years that's when you can't play that style anymore. And that's the same style Bruce is playing, which is why we'll, we can win some games, but other games will get absolutely torn apart. And even in games where we win, it's not a, it's not a team performance. It's just individuals who've clicked that game. That's my thing. Okay. Well, there we are. Who, who, we are. I don't think we were... Expecting to get into another fifteen-minute no. conversation, with Bruce. But I think it's just always going to happen. Sorry, no, it's good. No, I would not want Daniel Farker at Newcastle. Who's <laughs> <laughs> an excellent <laughs> example, though? He's an excellent example. It made me think, but I'd still, I'd still have. Okay, there we go. Um, well, uh, we'll leave it there. Uh, in uh, in summary, I think um, I win. Um, <laughs> um, all right. Uh, thank you very much, Dave Watson. Thanks, Fergus. Thank you, Paul Doolan. Thank you. And thank you to you, the Newcastle NASA listener. Hopefully we'll be back next week. Wasn't that a great podcast? Now, if you've got 90 seconds spare in your day, come and listen to ours. It's called What Has He Said Now? and is available wherever you got this podcast. You're going to lose a number of people to the flu. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.